0: please join me in turning in your copy of god's word to the book of hebrews hebrews chapter 10. so we will be continuing where we left off two weeks ago i know that we were in hebrews chapter 10 last week that was coincidence or god's providence depending upon how you want to look at it i did not plan for uh teaching elder smith to preach from hebrews that was his choice Uh, It was good to have him here, but we'll be resuming where we left off last, or two weeks ago, we wrapped up chapter 9, and uh, today we're going to begin chapter 10, looking at the first 10 verses of chapter 10, and it may feel to you, as we've been going through these past few chapters, like uh, the author of Hebrews has been repeating himself in many ways. uh, There is repetition, there are variations on a theme, and it's clear that the Holy Spirit would have us understand these things, almost the mechanics of how Christ is our Savior and his sacrifice for us, how he functions as a high priest. We've looked at it from different angles, and today we're going to be focusing on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and by this repetition, it's, it's enabled us to see uh, and highlight specific aspects uh, each week of this essential element of our faith so today we're going to read um hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 to 10 if you would out of reverence for god's word stand with me as we read this together we're going to hear about the perfection of christ's sacrifice so here now god's holy infallible and inerrant word for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit breathed out these words through this human author. We believe in the Holy Spirit that works through the preaching of the Word, that uh, opens our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your Word. And so we pray that you would give us understanding. Pray that you would give me clarity and boldness to proclaim your Word as I ought. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A rich young man walked up to Jesus and he said, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" So, what must I do? And isn't that the question that we always ask? We tend to ask constantly, "What must I do to get ahead in my job? What must I do?" To have a successful life, what must I do to have value? Of course, that man was asking something a bit further, as was clear by how Jesus immediately responded. He said, why do you call me good? (laughs) There's no one good but God alone. That man wanted to know what he must do in order to be good, to be good enough to inherit eternal life. Now, we're good Christians. We've been in the church long enough. We've heard enough of God's word to know that this is not how it works. We don't get goodness through our works. We Many of us have probably memorized that very important passage, for it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, not by by works, lest any man should boast. So I am convinced that we all know this as a fact. We would declare it as a fact, but I am not convinced that we truly rest in this truth as a fact. We are creatures who have been created to do. We have been given bodies and minds to create to work, to think, to fix things, to try to correct problems when they're there, to make a name for ourselves. And it is incredibly difficult for us to shake the notion that we must do something, there must be something in us that we must do to make ourselves right with God, to gain God's approval. And while none of us obviously lived in the time when there were animal sacrifices required by God, I think there is something in that that makes sense to us, that maybe even is appealing to us. I mean, if we were Israelites, we would raise up our own animals. We would... Bring them over to be sacrificed. We would make that financial and emotional sacrifice of this animal that we had cared for and raised, and now we're giving up. We would see that animal killed and its blood spilled for us. And we would see that image of what we needed to do in order to be reconciled with God. It was a work that was there for the worshiper. And yet the Holy Spirit makes clear that these sacrifices were holy, unsatisfying. There was something deficient with them. They were required by God, but not desired by God. They were insufficient for doing what needed to be done they they were never intended to be the thing that reconciled us to god they were to be intended to be the thing that showed us that we needed to be reconciled to god in fact there's nothing that you or i could ever do that could reconcile us to god god himself would have to do everything He made that clear in his word. And that's what we're reminded of in this passage, is that God has fully done everything that is necessary to reconcile us to himself by the willing and obedient sacrifice of his son for us. So... I hope you caught it in this passage, but he's, uh, our author is contrasting the former sacrifices with the sacrifice of Christ, and that's how we're going to look at the passage through the by seeing the imperfection of the former sacrifices contrasted with the perfection of the sacrifice of Christ. So we'll begin by looking at the imperfection of the former sacrifices. He said, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It is imperfect. Those sacrifices were imperfect first because they were ineffective. They could never make perfect those who draw near. What we need is to be made perfect. We are defiled Because of our sin, we are separated from him. We are unclean, and we need to be perfected. We need to be cleansed. We need to be brought near. But these sacrifices could not get it done. And it was clear to them that it it couldn't get it done because they were never enough. He says, well, if otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? If, if they did the job, why do they have to keep offering them over and over and over again? But they did. So they knew that those sacrifices weren't getting it done. And beloved, isn't that the case with all of our works? That it seems like all of our best works, even with all of our best intentions, they are never enough. It's never sufficient. There's never an end to them. And any of us who are married know this. (laughs) Any of us who have an employer know this. Anyone who has parents knows this. Because what do we always say? It doesn't matter what I do for you. It doesn't matter how hard I try. It is never enough. You're never satisfied. Or on the flip side, (laughs) we might... We might say, well, yeah, you did some good things a couple of years ago, but what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? We're never satisfied. It's this, it's this endless hamster wheel. We might have the best of days or the best of quarters, but once they're over, we start all again. We've got to prove ourselves all over again. And such was the case with these sacrifices. They were never enough. Year after year, they were offered. But they were also imperfect because, or ineffective, because they had the opposite effect of what they were intended to do. Because what we need is to be forgiven. We can't can't make right the sins that we have committed. We, We cannot repay an infinite debt. We can only be forgiven. We need those sins to be forgiven and God to remember those sins no more. And what the text says is that these sacrifices did just the opposite. In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. We need God to forgive us, and we need to be able to move forward knowing that we're forgiven and that he remembers them no more. But the sacrifice is reminded constantly. It's not fully paid. And, beloved, we cannot miss the grace that we have this side of the cross. And we can't get confused about that either. In our worship liturgy, each week we have a reading from the law of God, which in some sense reminds us that we are sinners. And it's appropriate for us to ask the question, well, are we reverting to an old covenant way of acting Not all churches have a confession of sin. Should we have? Should we not include that? Are we reminding ourselves of our culpability, of our sinfulness? No, beloved, we're not. Because the reason why we include the law in our worship service is not to remind—not solely to remind us that we are sinners, but more so to remind us that we are forgiven, that we have the gift of forgiveness. We. We remember that we are sinners because we are reminded that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We can celebrate at the fountain of God's grace by by confessing our sins. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And we celebrate our assurance of pardon week after week. We don't we we don't do that so that we can remember that we are sinners we do that so that we can remember that we are forgiven and that god remembers our sins no more it ought to be a means of joy and celebration week after week and so if we do that do that part of the worship service and you are focused on your sinfulness and your and being separated from god and A weight of guilt. You have missed the entire point of that part of our our liturgy because whether I'm leading that portion or one of our elders are leading it, when we get to that assurance of pardon and we say if you have put your faith in Christ, then on the authority of God's word, your sins are truly forgiven. As surely as you hear our voices, you can know that your sins are forgiven, that God remembers them no more, and that's why we respond with thanksgiving. But beloved, this forgiveness is a gift and a blessing of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because what does verse 4 says? It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but... The blood of Jesus Christ has taken away our sins, has taken away your sins. God truly forgives them. They're truly set aside. So the former sacrifices were ineffective, but they were also undesired. They were not desired. Our author quotes from Psalm 40, which he puts into the mouth of the Son of God, when he was coming into the world. It says, verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. And then in verse 6, In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. They were required, but they were not desired. It's one of those seeming contradictions in God's word. Um, God commanded them, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted obedience. He wanted obedience from the heart. In fact, he wanted truly our hearts. And the prophets would rail against this. They would to to the people of Israel. He would they would say, "You're you're multiplying sacrifices. Like you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. I don't want your sacrifices. They're they're noxious." to me. They're offensive to me. What what do you think you're doing? I want your hearts. And isn't that what we just read in the law passage when Samuel told Saul, he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice because the sacrifices were required because the people were disobedient. They sinned, they needed a sacrifice, and it never did anything to bring about heart obedience. It never did anything to reconcile the worshiper with God. If anything, it heightened the awareness of the fact that it reminded worshiper and God that here's somebody who's hardened. Here's somebody who is a is a disobedient sinner. It was... Um, not able to accomplish that which it was purposed, and it was not what God desired and so it, in in short, all these things are because the these sacrifices were never the reality; they were a a shadow of that which was to come in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ and so we see all the imperfection of the former sacrifices, but then he points our eyes to the perfection of Jesus Christ. So whereas the former sacrifices were not desired, the sacrifice of Jesus was desired. He says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. God himself prepared a body for his son. He did not desire the sacrifices and offerings, but he did desire that his son would offer himself up as a sacrifice. He, God himself, prepared the sacrifice that he would accept, that would be effective, that would be glorious, that would bring about all the things that were intended to happen. And we, but we can't miss, beloved, that Christ's sacrifice came through his obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. But notice that Jesus offered his sacrifice through obedience. He said, In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. It was purposed by the Father, planned by the Father, prepared by the Father, and the son said i come willingly i come willingly to take on this body he he said this when he was coming into the world this is the reason why he came out of obedience to the father god so loved the world that he gave his only son but the son so loved the father that he willingly took on this body and came to sacrifice himself for his people. He did this by taking on human flesh, by sacrificing himself for the people. As he was born, his mind was set on the cross. He knew he had come to offer himself as a sacrifice to satisfy his father's divine justice. And he did it with a heart of full obedience He said this in John 14. He said, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. It was in the fullness of love. God loving his people. The Son loving the Father. The Son coming to love through laying down his life. And this is his eternal plan. See what it says in verse 7? As it is written of me, In the scroll of the book, this was God's eternal plan out of love for you and for me, that the Son of God would come to be a sacrifice. And as a result, beloved, this sacrifice is effective. See what it says in verse 10? And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been, we have now been prepared for glory. The Father prepared a body for him. He has now prepared us for glory. He has cleansed us. He has made us holy. We are his forever and ever. And so, beloved, since these things are true, there are are a few things that we can confidently say. The first it, it. it ought to be evidently clear that only God determines what he will accept as a satisfaction for sin, as righteousness, as anything that will glorify him. He required sacrifices in the Old Testament, these animal sacrifices, but only for a particular purpose. They were there to show the seriousness of our sin. They were were weak to show the inability uh, for us to do anything on our own power, to make us ache for a perfect sacrifice that would end it all and truly reconcile us to God. And now, beloved, in Jesus Christ, there is no other way than what God has provided for us. Jesus Christ is the only way. His sacrifice is perfect and complete, and there's nothing else that can satisfy God than what has been already been given. And just as sacrifices have been given, were commanded, but to a purpose, the same thing is true for us when it comes to our good works, the things that we do with our hands. We have been commanded to do good things but only for a particular purpose they were they're not intended to pay back god for misdeeds of our past they're not intended to somehow please god as though we've come up with something some new way to make him happy they are a response of the fact that we have been set free by the blood of Christ, that we have been forgiven and welcomed into his presence. He now works in us that which is pleasing, and we're called to it, we're commanded to do it, but only out of a response from a obedient heart that has been wrought by the the Spirit of God. So only God determines what is what he will accept, but the second thing that we can't forget, it's good for us to be reminded, is that God did all the work, all the work that is needed for your salvation. We did all the work to separate us from him and to in- be worthy of his judgment, but he did all the work to reconcile us. He gave the, his law to show us where we were disobedient. He commanded the sacrifices to show us that there was some payment that was needed. He weakened the sacrifices so that we would know that we couldn't do it, so we would long for something better. He chose his son to be the perfect son. He prepared a body for his son and sent his son, who obediently went and willingly sacrificed himself. And now, because of that, God declares that we are his. The work was fully his in accordance with his perfect plan. And if that is the case, beloved, then we can know for certain that God must be satisfied. It was his plan It was his desire and it was his work. There is nothing that you can do to add to it. There's nothing that you need to do to improve upon it. It was all his. To him be the glory forever and ever. There's nothing for us to do except to believe it and to rest in it only to believe. <laughs> There's nothing for us to add. And beloved, that is the good news of the gospel. And that is what makes the gospel so difficult for us. Because we want to do something, we want to add something, we want to pay, pay God back. We want to prove that we're really saved. Prove that we're really joyful. And beloved, you don't have to work. That's not the gospel. There's nothing you need to add. Jesus has done it all for you. It says, the great song says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Beloved, can you rest fully on that? Can you let go of your need to add something to the work of God? Because that's where rest is. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, if you have never trusted in this gospel, then What you need to understand is that none of your works, none of your goodness, none of your trying to pay God back or make things right will ever be effective. It will never amount to anything. God is not looking for that from you. He has been satisfied in his son. And what he has given to us in his son is far better than what you or I could ever do. Because it is perfect and it is effective in each and every way. And beloved, he offers that to you and to me. He says, stop your striving and accept what I give you in his son. So whether you have never trusted or you've forgotten the fullness of the grace and you've just wearied yourself by working for your salvation, I implore you to receive the gift of God. And rest in the fullness of his love for you today. Because in Christ Jesus we've been prepared for glory and you have been truly forgiven. And beloved to that point, let's talk about forgiveness for just a second. I'm talking about forgiveness of us to others. I hope you see... I hope you can see the fullness of your the forgiveness that you have received in Jesus Christ and how that must change how we forgive others because God himself has given his very son who willingly laid down his life for you and for me and so how can we withhold forgiveness from our spouse, or our family member, or our friend, or anyone, as though we want a continual sacrifice of obedience or payback for the wrong that they have done in the past, and they can never undo. They need forgiveness, just as you need forgiveness. And yes, (laughs) forgiveness is one of the hardest things of the Christian life, is to truly forgive to truly forget and, and and no longer hold against somebody the pain that they have caused you, the pain you may have been living with for years. And I would just encourage you to meditate on the fullness of the grace that you have received in Jesus Christ. Beloved, we are mere mortals, mere sinners. Any crime that has been committed against you, any offense is nothing compared to the immense weight of the, the crime and offense you've committed against the Almighty God. And he loved you enough to give up his son so that he could forgive you. And you are truly forgiven. The last thing we should say is that we, uh, Christ has completed the work for salvation but that doesn't mean there isn't still work for us to do. But we, have not, we do not work for our salvation, but we have been saved unto works. We, we are called to good works. James commands the rich to be rich in good works. We, that same passage in Ephesians 2 says um, that he has uh, prepared works for us to do, that we should walk in them. To to obey is better than sacrifice, but Christ offered himself as a sacrifice so that we can be obedient from the heart. So that we can have his spirit of obedience. He has perfected us so that we can be obedient. We don't offer bloody animal sacrifices, but We still offer sacrifices. We're still called to offer sacrifices. They are just new and transformed sacrifices. We we read one of them in our call to worship. It said, "And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving." Psalm fifty one says that we uh, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken spirit of humility. We're called to give sacrifices of praise, and in our scripture for prayer and meditation. It's one of our favorite passages from Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And isn't that interesting? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because how did Jesus sacrifice himself? It was in the body. God prepared a body for him so that he could die, so that you and I could be living sacrifices in the body. What that means is, in all that we say and and do, in all public and private forums, whether at work or home or church, in thought, word, and deed, everything that we do ought to be now lived as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to the lord to the lord who shed his blood who gave his life for us we now give our lives in obedience to him and this beloved he says is holy and acceptable worship this is what god accepts from us it is a pleasing aroma or as paul wrote in 1 corinthians 6 you were bought with a price So glorify God in your body. That rich young man wasn't the only person that asked the question, what must I do? Uh, Acts chapter 16 is a uh, familiar passage to us, is a situation where Paul and Silas were arrested in Philippi, and they were thrown into the Philippian jail. And in the middle of the night, There was an earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and lights went out, and the jailer grabbed a light, and he cried out, Brothers, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Beloved, let's cling to the cross of Jesus Christ because in him and him alone is our hope for salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for our striving and forgive us for thinking that we need to add something to it, to the salvation that you have worked in Jesus Christ. We thank you for doing it all. Help us to rest and help us to rest even in the works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. That we might bring glory and honor and praise to you in all of our days. And We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.